this morning. I get to talk on presence. I'm so excited. But I feel like it's only like a piece of a big, big message, but I'm so excited. So I want to reiterate our message, um, our mission statement this morning. It's pursuing the transforming presence of God and allowing heaven to manifest in our lives. And this week we're going to be starting with presence, but it's going to be a three-week series on our values, presence, transformation, and encountering the Holy Spirit. So in three weeks' time, we're going to really set aside a long time for corporate ministry where we're going to be going after the Holy Spirit manifesting in you guys. I'm really excited about it. So the word presence for me means so much, and it evokes such a spiritual, um, my spirit is just like, yes, every time I hear that word, and, and it's a driving force in my life. Um, before I, I want to say anything else, to me, the presence is the pursuit of God himself, his presence in my life, being near him, being close to him, and knowing him. And it's why I planted this church, and it's one of my greatest values. I was thinking about the presence earlier this week, and Adam and I were sitting in our room, and the kids were coming in and out, in and out, in and out, in and out, and we're like, oh my gosh, they do this all the time. I mean, can a woman go to the bathroom, a mother, without her little kids coming in? I don't know. Or do we try to escape to get a break from our kids and go to the bathroom, right? It's like double fold, so yeah. And so I was thinking about that, and I was like all of a sudden had this revelation where God's like, I want you to be childlike like that, Amy, and just constantly want to be in my presence. You won't leave me alone. You're just like coming and coming and coming after me, right? Thank you. And so we look in the Bible and we see right away when God created the earth and he created Adam, he was walking in the garden. Literally, Adam got to walk with God himself day in and day out. And then we fast forward and sin enters the world and there's a separation from his presence. But God set in a plan. He set that plan for the plan of reconciliation between God and man. And so we see Moses going up to the mountain to encounter God. And the Israelites could have gone too, but they were afraid. So they said, no, Moses, go on our behalf. So Moses experienced this amazing relationship with God. And then we see he gets the blueprints for the tabernacle. And so they build this tent where they take it wherever they go, and in there dwells the presence of God. But there's this curtain, this massive curtain between the Holy of Holies. And not just anyone can go in the Holy of Holies. There's like a priest, and he has to go through all of these rituals and things to be clean to be able to go in. And even still, they had to tie a rope around his waist in case he died in the Holy of Holies because no one else could go in, so they would pull him out. And they say something like, it was at least 30 foot by 30 foot and quite thick. It was huge. And it was this symbol, and a physical symbol as well, of the separation that our sin caused between God and the holy of holies, between us and man, man and God. And so we see that only one thing could change everything, and it was the lamb once and for all, Jesus Christ, the God of the universe, born as a man, came. And he didn't sin. He lived a blameless life. And he was coming to make a sacrifice once and for all to restore us to God. 
I love that. And, and when he died, the curtain in the Holy of Holies was actually torn in two. And I remember someone saying, like, did they sew it up after to hide the fact, you know? But the curtain was torn in two so that we could then be completely reconciled. We didn't have to go, you know, to a priest and all of this, but we could come directly to God himself because of what Jesus Christ did. Come on. In Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, it says this. So then we must cling to faith in all we know to be true, for we have a magnificent king priest, Jesus Christ, the son of God, who rose into the heavenly realm for us and now sympathizes with us in our frailty. He understands humanity, for as a man, our magnificent king priest was tempted in every way just as we are, and he conquered sin. So now we can come freely and boldly to where love is enthroned to receive mercy's kiss and discover the grace we urgently need to strengthen us in our time of weakness. Isn't that amazing? And these scriptures always come to mind, and they're some of my favorites that I read over and over again and kind of rest in. And I want to read them over you, and I want you guys to just close your eyes and soak them in. So I'm going to read Colossians 12, 12 through 23. Your hearts can soar with joyful gratitude when you think of how God made you worthy to receive the glorious inheritance freely given to us by living in the light. He has rescued us from the tyrannical rule of darkness and translated us into the kingdom realm of his beloved son. For in the son, all of our sins are canceled and we have the release of redemption through his very blood. He is the divine portrait, the true likeness of the invisible God and the firstborn heir of all creation. For the Son, for through the Son, everything was created both in the heavenly realm and on the earth, and all that is seen and all that is unseen. Every seat of power, realm of government, principality, and authority, it was all created through him and for his purpose. He existed before anything was made, and now everything finds its completion in him. He is the head of the body, which is the church. And since he is the beginning and the firstborn heir of resurrection, he is the most exalted one, holding first place in everything. For God's satisfied God is satisfied to have all his fullness in the dwelling in Christ. And by the blood of his cross, everything in heaven and earth is brought back to himself, back to its original intent, restored to innocence again and made holy through Christ. Even though you were once distant from him, living in the shadows of your evil thoughts and actions, he reconnected you back to himself. He released his supernatural peace to you through the sacrifice of his own body as a sin payment on your behalf so that you would dwell in his presence. And now there is nothing between you and Father God, for he sees you as holy, flawless, and restored. If indeed you continue to advance in the faith, assured of a firm foundation to grow upon, never will you be shaken from the hope of the gospel you have believed in. So good. And I love that all the time I think about that. I can come boldly now and confidently before the throne of God because of what Jesus did. It just amazes me. You know, in in all the things that I've done, he paid the price so that I could be in his presence because he's so good. And so then we see Jesus pays the price, but then he's like, I gotta go. And so he, he ascends back to heaven. 
And he says this to the disciples in John 16, 7. He says, but here's the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. If I don't go away, the divine encourager will not be released to you. But after I depart, I will send him to you. And so I think about how if Jesus would have stayed in the Holy Spirit and hadn't have come, and and would Jesus have lived at the same age forever? And would he be in, in Jerusalem maybe? And each of us would maybe save up our money once a year, twice a year, make a pilgrimage. But then how many people would be making a pilgrimage to see Jesus? And we're in this lineup, but we're so hungry just to be with him. And then, you know, do all of us try to move to Jerusalem? And it becomes like, you know, and, and all of this stuff. But no, the Holy Spirit could be in a bush church in the middle of Africa right now. He could be in a crusade in Brazil right now, but he could be with you right now in this very moment. I love that because he's so personal. And then not only that, but he says, I want to dwell in your very being. I want to cohabit your space. I want to be everything to you. I want to know you. It's even more than Adam experienced, actually. He, wa- he walked with the living God, but now the living God lives and dwells inside of us if we let him. He's personal. And he's everything that we need. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Don't you realize that together you have become God's inner sanctuary and that the Spirit of God makes his permanent home in you? 2 Timothy 1.13-14 says, Allow the, holy, the healing words you have heard from me to live in you and make them a model for your life as your faith and love for the anointed one grows even more. Guard well this incomparable treasure by the spirit of holiness living within you. And Romans 8.11 says, Yes, God raised Jesus to life, and since God's spirit of resurrection lives in you, he will also raise your dying body by the same life of the spirit that breathes life into you. So the God of the universe is longing for you to welcome him in. The God of the universe wants more of you. And I heard it once said that like the Holy Spirit's like a muscle. And if you don't work it and use it, it, it's not really being used to its full effect. But as you begin to lift and strengthen and use the Holy Spirit, you get stronger right? And you, you're able to do things you couldn't do before. And the Holy Spirit's in there. He's just waiting to, to be accessed and used by you because the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is alive in you. Come on. Now I want to share a bit of my own journey with the presence. So I was raised in a Baptist church. And I remember even like, you know, there were no, you know, raising your hands or anything like that. And I remember my dad going to some board meeting to talk about a girl who was playing the tambourine on the worship team and how that was not good. You know, I I remember things like that and I was like, oh, but isn't there a Bible verse that says like, pray the tambourine? I don't know. Um, But yeah, it was was very strict and, and we were memorizing verses left, right, and center. I was that kid in front of my Sunday school teacher who was like, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that who shall ever believe in him should never perish but have had eternal life. I was like, yes, Bible drill. I know where that is in the Bible. You know, I was like that competitive child. And then when I was 11 years old, my dad, 
was reading um, the book Surprised by the Power of the Spirit by Jack Deere. And he had been getting hungry for more of the Spirit. And so he encountered God in his room and he began to speak in tongues. He didn't even ask for it. It just came upon him. And so he was like, okay, guys, we're going to go to this church called Kelowna Vineyard. And at the time, it was Wes and Stacey Campbell were pastoring there. And it was this big church of over 1,000. And I remember going, and the first Sunday, there was this woman sitting on the floor there, and she was journaling. And all of a sudden, she'd be like, just, ho! And then, ho! And I was like, is she in labor? Like, she, she doesn't look pregnant, but like, what is that? And I was like that awkward kid who was like, you know, like, what is that? And I'm like, mommy, 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 like, what is that, you know? And she's like, I don't know. <laughs> and my mom was kind of dragging her feet, and my dad's always like, he's he's 0% or 100%, right? So he's like, I'm all in, yes. And my mom's like, I don't know about this, Lloyd. <laughs> and she ended up having this friend who was charismatic, and she said, this woman's love for the Lord is what got me. That's when I wanted to be all in because this woman loved God like I had never experienced and I want that. And so then fast forward, I'm 16 years old and dad takes this to catch the fire for the first time because we, we were out west and he had gone to catch the fire during the revival when it was TACF. Who, who knew it when it was TACF? Yeah. It was so weird when it got changed to catch the fire at first, but apparently John Arnott was going to call it Party on the Go, but he got shot down. But I was like, this could be Party on the Go Kitchener. I mean, come on. I like him even more because of that, right? <laughs> Party on the Go. Um, so so um, I'm sitting there at Catch the Fire when I'm 16, and I remember so many people, because we had gone to YWAM by then as a family, and we had been traveling the U.S., and we were at IHOP and living in Kansas City and all of that, so we get back to Ontario, and we go to CTF, and I'm sitting there, and they're like, does anyone want to be filled with the Spirit? And I'm sitting there like, yeah, I do, and they're, call they're calling people up, and I'm like, I've gone up so many times, God, and all of a sudden, in my chair, I just started speaking in tongues. And so there, that was that marking of like, okay, there's more. There really is more for me. And so it began to stir up this desire in me. And so when I was 18 years old, my friends from my local church were like, hey, we're going to Fresh Wind to Catch the Fire. You want to come with me? And I was like, okay, okay, I'll go. So we get to this building. At the time, the youth conference was like 3,000 youth. And <laughs> we would get up at like 6 a.m. just to line up with our blankets, you know, and it's like two degrees and we're like, it's so warm because it's April and, you know, it's just starting to get, you know, more into spring, but it wasn't really that warm. And so we're holding our blankets and as soon as the or doors would open, it was like free for all. And we're like, ah, and like put our blankets out as close to the front as we could get them, you know. And so we're all in there and I feel like the air is electric with the presence. And there's all of these youth just hungry for the presence of God. And so I'm sitting there and I've been hearing all the messages and this hunger in me all weekend long is just growing and growing and growing. And I remember there's a speaker there called Judah Smith. He's a pretty big preacher now. And he was, he was preaching the last night and he was talking about, are you willing to drop everything for Jesus? Are you willing to want him more than anything else? And inside of me, he's like, yes, yes, yes. And he was doing this, um, 
this um, skit where he was like, you know, your boyfriend or your girlfriend doesn't love Jesus and they're bringing you down. Are you willing to drop it? And he was bringing up all of these things. And he's like, are you willing to drop it for him? And everything was crying out. And before he even got to the altar, you know, the call to do ministry, I like jumped up from my blanket <laughs> and I was like, yes. And all of a sudden it felt like this lightning bolt of electricity hit me. I flew to the floor and I was shaking like crazy and I would, couldn't stop shaking and all of a sudden youth started coming from all over and just touching me and they started shaking and they started shaking and it was just this crazy and then a whole room of 3,000 youth are crying out for more of God going crazy. It was nuts. So I go home after this weekend and I didn't stop shaking for like a week and a half. I was even laying in my sleep going like this. I began to prophesy. No one taught me how to prophesy. I began to, um, I delivered my, my friend from a demon. It was crazy. I was like, even said some stuff to my mom that God told me about her past and God wanted to give her freedom. It was crazy stuff. And I began to hear God's voice so clearly. And so from that day on, I started to set up dates with Jesus. I would set up a table and put a plate in front of me and I would just have dates with Jesus and I would talk to him. And sad to say, I didn't keep that going consistently. But it was this marking of his presence in me. And I remember as I was laying on the floor crying after I'd been hit by the power of the Holy Spirit, I heard him say, I'm going inside of you and I'm taking your heart and I'm giving you a heart transplant. And I just began to want him more than I wanted anything else. It was the turning point for me of just like, this God is better than anything else. <sighs> My spirit cried out for the living God, and I couldn't go another day with his presence after that. <sighs> you know, and the journey since then has been up and down, and there have been moments where after that I actually fell into depression because I started to let the enemy's lies in. And, the, and God couldn't speak because I wasn't, I wasn't continually staying in the presence. And as I, I went to Fresh One again, it, Fresh One is like a thing for me. And I'm like married by then and I'm going to a youth conference. And I got so hit by the presence of God again. And he just took off the depression in one go and was just like, are you ready to fight? And he said, you are a warrior. Do you believe it? Are you going to let the enemy tell you who you are from this day forward? Or are you going to let me tell you who I am. And that was another complete turning point. And all I can say now to this day is my truth is I fit my whole life around Jesus Christ and his presence. And here's the thing, guys. God's presence isn't neat and tidy, all wrapped up in a bow. It doesn't always look like what we think. And he doesn't come the same on everybody. Some people will have these big, crazy things, and other people just feel a peace or a releasing of pain or just knowing that he sees them. You know, John and Carol are not who are the founders of Catch the Fire. He calls himself the designated driver because his wife's, like, out on the floor, and he's just like, I'm feeling nothing, you know? But he's like, I feel like God made me that way just for the ones that don't feel like my wife does, that they know that God is still moving. I was like, wow. And so when John and Carol 
before uh, the revival fell in 1994, they had revival happen in their church before that. And it was messy. And it wasn't like he thought. And, and so they ended up kind of controlling it. And it completely shut down. And so they began to pray, God, if you would come again, we will not control it. We just want you to come. And they started crying out. And so in 1994, in this small church in Toronto, they're just crying out for more of God, and the Holy Spirit fell. And so people started coming from all over the world, and they had meetings seven nights a week for years. And it went to thousands. And it was chaos. I mean, go watch some of the videos. Go watch some of the videos. I mean, they let a guy speak, and he's like, and I just, and I like, I just, Jesus is here. He's here. And everyone's like, oh. <laughs> because the presence changes everything. Huh. <laughs> and I was talking to, well, and I want to say this, that the vineyard actually, the church was a vineyard at the time. The vineyard pulled out and said, you can't be vineyard anymore because we're not sure about all this stuff. And they later came and repented. But John said, I've already shut it down once. I'm not going to shut it down again. Yes, that's weird. That makes me uncomfortable. But God is moving and I'm not going to control it. And, and God moves so powerfully. I heard pastor after pastor stories, even when I went, they'd send us an outreach to different places in the world. And this one pastor in England's like, I went there as a young church pastor and like I got blasted and I came back and I just preached and the whole entire spirit fell in my church in England. And then I talked to these Japanese pastors, the same thing happened in Japan and things was happening all over the world. And, you know, people will talk about, well, what about the barking dogs and stuff? And so Jeremy Sinnott, who was the original worship leader when it fell in 1994, I was talking to him. He's a kind of mentor of mine. And he was saying, you know, people come and tell me that all the time. Well, Jeremy, what about the roaring? What about the roaring? And he was like, I knew, you know, I've interviewed some of these guys. And he said, the one guy that would roar all the time, he said he was from China and God told him it's time to take back China from the dragon and the lion is roaring over China. And he went back and the spirit fell in China. And so it's like, okay, like, I don't understand what's going on. That's kind of weird, but there's fruit. And so the revival, you began to see the fruit. And that's when the, that's when the head, John Wimber came and repented and said, I'm sorry, you know, that we pulled from you guys being the vineyard because we see the, the fruit. We can't deny the fruit. And there are so many times where even I was uncomfortable by things and I'm like, her laugh, she's like, she's laughing through the spirit, but that laugh is horrible, Lord, you know? And then she's like, she couldn't stop laughing every time and she'd always sit right beside me and I was like, can she just be quiet, Lord? And, you know, and then she's like, my dad died of cancer and I was there. My mom had died already previously and I sat with him through and I held him when he died and she was like, I haven't laughed or smiled in four or five years and I can't stop laughing when I come into his presence. I'm like, okay, Lord, you know, I'll change my tune. I'm so sorry. And so I just stopped judging it and stopped, you know, and there's times to discern. There's times when you know, okay, that's not of God. We're going to shut that down. But what I want to say is that it can be uncomfortable. It, it's, it's like letting children stay in the service sometimes. It's uncomfortable, especially for me. No, but, but there's something to be said about them seeing their parents worship Jesus. And what I love about Catch the Fire 
What I love about it is that they don't put controls on it. It can look like this. It can't look like this. They're willing to be uncomfortable for him. Heidi Baker, who has started thousands of churches in Mozambique, came as a burnt-out missionary, and she wasn't even allowed to go there. They're like, you can't go to that place or we'll pull your funding. So she, like, snuck in the back hoping nobody would notice her, and she was completely burnt out, had been in the hospital, and just like, I can't go back to Mozambique. And so she's at the front, like, just worshiping, and then she gets, like, thrown to the floor, and she said something like a week. She was, every time she'd come, she was like flopping on the floor, like crazy, up and down, up and down. And even John Knott said, it was weird. (laughs) But the fruit, (laughs) God said to her as she was flopping on that floor, are you ready to take the the nation of Mozambique? I'm going to give it to you. You know, and after that, she said she felt so much waves of his presence that she was like, stop, I'm going to die. But then she went back to Mozambique and they pulled all her funding because she had gone to catch the fire. And people were like coming against her and she got shot at and all of this. But she said, I know I'm not going to give up because the presence has marked me and I know it's real. So she stayed the course and the fruit is amazing. Huh. The fruit of that encounter changed the nation of Mozambique. And all this is to say that this is a church that welcomes the presence of God, however it looks like. It's never been about the manifestations. It's him, and we want him. I tried so many times to give up on planting this church, and there was so much. It was like, we said yes to planting this church, and then it was like, here's death for four years. <laughs> like, everything that could go wrong, there was so much pain, so much hardship, but even financials, and, and I so many times was like, I can't do this, Adam. I can't do this. Call Steve and Sandra Long and tell them I quit, you know, and we're not getting a building, and we're still stuck in the house phase. Are we failures, you know? And I would go and pray with the Lord, and I was like, oh, I remember. This is why I'm doing this. It's because I want a church that welcomes your presence more than anything else. And I want my kids to grow up in that. And I wrote this song in that phase for the Lord, and it says this, I'm desperate for more of you. I'm crying out to know your truth, and I must have more of you. There's nothing I want more. There's nothing I want more. There's nothing I want more than you because I've tasted and I've seen, and I know it's you I need. Come be my everything. Come be my everything, Jesus. (sighs) I wanted to start a church where God had the freedom to move, even if sometimes it's weird, that we'd rend the heavens for longing of more of him that it's okay if he comes on a Sunday and wrecks our plans. I say that all the time. This is my plan, but like, have your way, God. (laughs) And in fact, I'd like him to wreck my plans more because what he does is so much better. Too many times we put parameters and boundaries on what God can and can't do because it makes us uncomfortable. Have people left this church because some things have made them uncomfortable? Yes. Are we going to stop? No. <laughs> huh. And this is my promise to you guys as your pastor. I am going to go after the presence with all of my heart, and I hope you come with me. I am going to cre- create space over and over and over again for God to move in this place. And I pray that you guys get hungry. 
And Adam and I continually pray that, Lord, bring us the hungry, Lord, bring us the hungry, Lord, bring us the hungry, because it says in Matthew 5, 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And God draws near to those who draw near to him. So if we as a church draw near to him, he's going to come near. He loves it when his people want him. James 4, 8 says, come near to God and he'll come near to you. So let's be a church that absolutely welcomes his presence. Let's be little children who won't leave their daddy alone. He's just like, okay, I'll show up. I'll come because they're calling my name so much. Daddy, 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 daddy. <laughs> let's want his presence more than we want anything else. If, oh, Amen. There is so much I could say in this topic. I could speak for weeks on it. And I have so many more stories. But what I wanted to get through this morning more than anything else is why we do this. Who Catch the Fire is and why this is such a value. You know, there's so many times I was like, man, I don't want to do church and have all the best programs and all of that if you don't show up. It's just like if you don't show up a lot, then you do have to have all the best programs, to be honest. And so there have been times where I'm like, look at their programs. Oh, Lord, we suck. (laughs) And then he's always like, it's true. It's true. And then the Lord will be like, why did you plant this church, Amy? And I'm like, I repent. I'm so sorry. It's all about your presence. We just want to create a space that you are so welcome to move any way you want. And so I'll stop looking at all the other things and just be what you've created us to be. Oh, and I have not had enough. I'm not even close. And I'm just crying out and I'm contending for more. There has to be so much more. And we're just rending the heavens. And he is going to pour out his spirit. I just know it more and more and more as his people just come after his presence. I want to be near you, Jesus. I want to be near you, Holy Spirit. I want to be near you, Father. And there's no shame. There's no sin. There's nothing that can separate you from that love now because Jesus did the amazing act of paying the price so that the curtain could be torn into and we could enter in boldly, boldly. So God, I pray this morning that you would help us to be a people that are so filled with hunger for you. God, I pray this morning that you'd be igniting sparks. You'd be igniting fires within us that just, I have that feeling in my belly when I think of the Lord. It's just like this stirring within my belly of just like, I need more. I need more of you. I need more of you. I've tasted and I've seen come be my everything, Jesus. And there were times where I remember like Baptist pastors after the fact sitting down with me and this one pastor, he was like, when I was 19 years old, trying to convince me that God doesn't move like that today. And I'm like, buddy, like I've experienced it. I've experienced it. I'm never going back. And you know, and some do go back because what happens is they don't spend consistent time in the presence and they forget, they forget what his presence looked like, right? The Israelites is a prime example of that. They, they literally had a cloud by day and a fire by night, and they had all of these, but 
they didn't continually go after the God himself. We need to go after his presence and go after his presence and go after his presence. We just pray that you would stir up, stir up your spirit this morning. That we'd be okay for you to come and take control, to wreck our plans with yours. And they're always better. Even if they're painful, sometimes they grow you and they, they do so much. In those four years of death, God changed me monumentally and I'm such a better person because of it, even though it was so painful. And I'm so glad I didn't get the church at the beginning of the four years and that I got the building at the end of the four years. God's way isn't always the easy way, but it's the best way. We ask this morning, Holy Spirit, for more of you, more of your presence in your, our lives, that as we come close, you would draw near to us, that heaven would invade our families and our homes and our workplaces and everywhere we go, that your presence would go before us and it would overflow out of our very beings, God, that we would remember that you are like our muscles, that we would access you, that we would use you, that we would build our life upon you, Jesus. God, we pray that you would move powerfully in every single person this morning. Whatever is holding them back, any, any lies that would say that you're not good, that you know, giving up control could mean all of these things. I pray that they would see that you're greater. The cost is worth everything. He is worth it all, I promise. There's nothing I want more. There's nothing I want more. There's nothing I want more than you.
a culture that wraps itself around you, Jesus. I want to create a life and, and, and a people that watch you so much. because we want you more than we want our comfort.